Good morning, Skillman Church of Christ. Welcome to our virtual service this morning. And also a special welcome as a church to a new season here at Skillman. A season where we are going to be focusing upon being known by our love. You see, here at Skillman, our vision for this year has been to be disciples of Jesus who live by faith, who advocate hope, and who are known by our love. And over this past year, you've noticed that we've spent time on each of these. The first part of the year, we looked at the faith and how we can be people of faith. Over the summer months, we looked at advocating hope. And now it's time for us to turn our attention towards being known by our love. So during these next few months, we're going to talk a lot about love. We're going to dive deep into the concept of love. We're going to explore what love could look like if it took hold of our hearts. And hopefully through this process, we'll be transformed by this love. Because as a church, as a community, as individuals, as as Christians, our desire is to be known by our love. As Joel preached about last week, right before Jesus was led to the cross, he sat down with his disciples. He looked at them in the eyes and he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And last week, Joel did a masterful job of unpacking this verse. If you hadn't had a chance to watch it, please pause this right now, go watch his sermon, then come back and continue. But last week, Joel said, of all the things that Jesus wanted his disciples to be known by, of all the things, it wasn't something outward. It wasn't a face tattoo or the same type of haircut or the same color shirt. Of all the things Jesus wanted his disciples to be known by, it was something inward, something that started within. As Christians, according to Jesus, we are to be known by our love. From the very core of our being, we are to love, and this love should propel us in a new radical way to live and breathe and treat others, and we are to be known by this love. So the question is, what is it? What does this love look like? How do you define it? Because love is one of those words that is notoriously hard to define. It's overused and it's undervalued. I mean, we love pizza, we love hot dogs, we love the Dallas Stars. But we also love our kids and our spouses. And when Jesus says for us to be known by our love, what is he talking about? The Apostle Paul knew that this word was hard to define. And so he dedicated an entire chapter to this in his first letter to the church in Corinth. And he described in detail what this love could look like. We know this passage today is 1 Corinthians 13. And this passage is often used at weddings, and, and when, you hear, heard, when you hear it read at weddings, you can see people look at each other with twinkles in their eye, and they, they sigh, and they think, oh, how beautiful is this passage. But I can guarantee you one thing, that when the first century church in Corinth listened to this letter, there were no twinkles in their eyes. There wasn't a warm heart. I mean, this chapter cuts deep into the heart. It wasn't sweet and romantic. It was challenging. It was convicting. It made them cringe in their seats. They could feel the heat in the room as this letter was being read out loud because almost all of the verbs used to describe love in verses four through seven, where it says that love is patient and kind, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, Almost all these verbs were used earlier in the book as things they were not doing. 
Earlier, Paul was calling them out. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, he's calling them to live into these principles. This passage cuts straight to the heart in convicting ways. And as we as a church dive deeper into this chapter, I imagine that we too will feel some heat and we'll be able to identify areas of growth and transformation in our own life. In the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul begins to lay out what this radical love looks like in the lives of the disciples of Jesus, he first starts with two things that love is not. Paul says, before I show you what love is, let me first show to you what love is not. So if you could read with me in, the first, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2. Here Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So here we have speaking in tongues. Gifts of prophecy, great wisdom to be able to fathom all mysteries and have a faith that can move mountain, which, mountains, which most commentators believe is specifically talking about leadership. What do all of these have in common? These are public acts that are observed by lots of people. And according to Paul, if you're able to do these things, but you don't have love, you are nothing. I mean, what is Paul saying here? Paul is making it abundantly clear that love is not the same thing as talent or giftedness. Not the same thing as talent or giftedness. In other words, don't mistake talent and giftedness and charismatic leadership for a transformed heart. I imagine this was a convicting truth for the church in Corinth because from what we know about this city of Corinth, it was full of go-getters and activators and people with initiative and drive who were extremely talented. You see, in a lot of ways, Corinth is a lot like Dallas. In fact, of all the cities in scripture, Corinth might be the most like Dallas. Corinth was a place of commerce, a land of opportunity. People moved there for economic reasons. They, they moved there to be successful. Corinth, it was a new city built just a few decades before this letter was written. It's on a four-mile isthmus between two bodies of water. It's perfect place for business. And anyone who had to transport goods, they had to go through Corinth. It was a perfect place for commerce. And you see people move to Corinth for economic opportunity. I mean, this sort of life, it attracted a, a particularly ambitious person, a go-getter, someone who had drive. It reminds me of a conversation I had with Dallas May about the city of Dallas when Tara and I first came here. After church one Sunday, we went to eat at Desperados back in the good old days when you could go to eat. And after we ordered the fajitas with this special type of tortilla, Dallas looked at us and he said, hey, let me tell you a few things about Dallas. And he said, you see, no one moves to Dallas for the view. No one moves here because the weather is good or because of the surrounding beauty. And he took a sip of his water and looked at us and said, you see, people move to Dallas for economic opportunity. He continued to say, hey, you know Fort Worth? Fort Worth is like Florence. The pace of life is slower. They can sip their tea and enjoy the sunset. But Dallas, he said, Dallas is like Rome. 
And then he leaned in. He said, you see, people don't move to Dallas to be. People move to Dallas to become. And I loved his take on Dallas. And since living here, I can see what he was talking about. This city, because of the jobs and the opportunities, it attracts talented people who are driven and talented and gifted and ambitious. But here is the problem, and, and Paul can see it, and he calls it out. If you put a bunch of talented people together, things can happen, and great things can happen. But what Paul is saying here is that love is not the same as talent and giftedness. Love is something deeper. A classic example is of this is someone who joins the church, and it, it comes out that they are a talented speaker. So naturally, the church in need of volunteers will give opportunities for this person to speak. But Paul says just because someone is up there speaking, it doesn't mean they have a transformed heart. Don't mistake talent for radical love. Or if, if someone is a great singer and they're asked to be on the praise team, just because they're up there singing and, and raising their hands, it doesn't equal to a transformed heart. Don't confuse giftedness for radical love. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a good speaker. It doesn't matter if you can lead with the passion and charisma. It doesn't matter if you can sing like Celine Dion from the stage with your eyes closed and your hands raised high. If all this doesn't stem from a thing called love, it's all empty. And according to Paul, it's nothing. My friends, what, what Paul is saying here is that it's possible to give your talents to God, but not your heart. It's possible to do and do and do and do, but inside be nothing. As gifted and talented and smart people of Dallas, here's the question for us to reflect on. Do I hide behind my abilities and gifts and my talents that make it appear as though I've got it all figured out, but underneath I'm joyless impatient, unkind, vengeful, and bitter. And even though I, I give my gifts and abilities to God, have I given God my heart to be transformed? In a society that puts so much emphasis on talent and achievement, Paul says, I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how talented you are, how gifted you are. If, if you're impatient and if you're unkind, you're not living this radical love, and it's nothing. And Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. You can't confuse love for talent and giftedness. Secondly, the second thing Paul says that love is not is found in verse 3 of chapter 13. Let's read it together. Paul writes, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that love is also not the same thing as constrained morality or simply just being good. I mean, can you imagine this person that's described in verse 3 of chapter 13? I mean, they didn't just give some of their possessions to the poor. They gave all of their possessions. And they gave their bodies to hardship for a cause and if this person was around today, we may give them some award like the Nobel Peace Prize. But Paul says, don't be fooled. You see, what is the motivation behind it? And if they did all that and love was not at the very core, then it's nothing. 
And notice here that, that Paul, he doesn't say be nothing in verse 3. Paul says gain nothing, which in the Greek literally means to count. You see, Paul is saying you can do it all, but without love, it, it doesn't count. You don't merit anything. The postmodern writers and thinkers like Marx and Nietzsche and Foucault, you see, they hit on this concept and, and, and drove them absolutely nuts. You see, they were skeptical that people could do anything moral or good selflessly at all or without selfish reasons. In fact, they thought that most moral virtues and moral behaviors stemmed from fear, pride, or a desire for power over others instead of love. But long before these writers noticed this, Paul was also saying the same thing. Paul says here that it's possible to live a completely moral and ethical life without any love at the root, but rather having fear, pride, and power as the source. It's possible to have a morally constrained heart that does the right things, that gives 10%, that attends church every Sunday, that volunteers in the community. It's possible to do all these good things, but to do them without a heart that's been radically changed through an experience of the grace and love of God. I mean, we know this to be true. We've seen it before. I mean, we know people who have been in church their whole life, every Sunday, who know the Bible inside and out, but who are also just plain mean, and they're bitter and unkind, and they never smile. But Paul reminds us that this is a story of transformation. The Jesus story is one where our hearts are fundamentally changed. The more of Jesus we have, the more joyful and kinder and patience we should exhibit. And if we find ourselves being kind or generous to someone to count or to get on God's good side or for others to see or to, that we're doing these good things or to convince ourselves that we are good people, then maybe these acts are about us and not about God. Here's the key. As Christians, we don't do these things in order to count. We volunteer, we do service, and we give because we already count. Love is the source. Love is the reason. It all begins with radical love at the very core of who we are. In verses 4 through 7, Paul writes about this love. As we, and as we read it, and as we'll explore this passage further in the coming weeks, this can't just be something we put on our to-do list. Well, yet... Today on my to-do list, I'm going to be patient. Or I'm going to, on my list, I'm going to keep no record of wrongs. You see, this is something that we can't just will. The type of love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, it's a love that's active. It's a living power that must take a hold of us, must take a hold of you. So how can we do this? How can we have a supernaturally changed heart instead of a morally constrained heart? Well, this is what we'll be mulling over these next few months together. But as a community, today, let's talk about places to start. First, we can't mistake love for talent, giftedness, or morality because they are not the same thing. And secondly, we need to look at our own life and begin asking these questions to ourselves. Am I being transformed? Am I growing? Am I getting emotionally stronger? Am I a kinder person than I used to be? Am I more patient? And if the answer is no, maybe we should ask ourselves why this is. And third, we need to look to the cross. 
If you read the entire book of 1 Corinthians, at the very beginning, Paul addresses some of these problems that are being experienced in the church there in Corinth. I mean, there's jealousy and there's bickering and there's sin. But in addressing these things, Paul says from the very beginning, you are forgetting the cross. How can you act this way if you're remembering the cross? And if we see verses four through seven first as, as a list that needs to be obtained, we'll never get there. But if we see this list as something that has been done to us, then this begins to transform us. You see, Jesus has been patient and kind. Jesus was not proud. He did not boast. Jesus did not dishonor others. He wasn't self-seeking. Jesus kept no record of wrongs. All of us are loved by God because of Jesus. And this radical love has been extended to us. And when we begin to sit and think about this, this radically begins to transform our own hearts from a morally constrained heart to a supernaturally changed heart. You see, my talented and gifted and smart friends of Dallas, let's be known by our love. May our kindness and patience and forgiveness, our self-forgetfulness, may this be what we are known for in our communities. And as we continue singing today, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on the cross on the gift of salvation and liberation that we have through Christ. Let's sing together.